0: Amen, amen. Well, have a seat. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Bayou City Fellowship Tomball. My name is Kevin Barron. I'm the lead pastor here at our Tomball campus, and if we haven't met yet, I'm sorry. I encourage you to come up afterward. We'll be here at the end of the service. Would love to meet you personally, individually. Um, If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 2 Chronicles chapters 14 through 16. The majority of our time is going to be in Uh, In chapters uh, 14 and 16 uh, this morning. So let me read a little bit for us from 2 Chronicles chapter 16 and then we will jump in. 2 Chronicles chapter 16 says this. In the thirty-sixth year of the reign of Asa, Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he might permit no one to go out Or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the kings and sent them to Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, who lived in Damascus, saying, There is a covenant between me and you, as there was between my father and your father. Behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go break your covenant with Basha, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king, king Asa. And sent the commanders of his armies against the cities of Israel, and they conquered Ejon, Dan, Abelmaim, and all the store cities of Naphtali. And when Basha heard it, he stopped building Ramah and let the work cease. Then King Asa took all of Judah and they carried away the stones of Ramah and its timber, with which Basha had been building, and with them he built Gibeah and Mizpah. At that time. Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you relied on the king of Syria, and did not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you. Were you Were not the Ethiopians and the Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he gave them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth, to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward him. You have done foolishly in this, for from now on you will have wars. Then Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison, for he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted cruelties upon some of the people at the same time. The acts of Asa from first to last are written in the books of kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa... Was diseased in his feet, and his disease became severe. Yet, even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but sought the help from physicians. And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the forty first year of his reign. They buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. They laid him on a bier that he may be filled with various kinds of spices prepared by perfume art, and they made a great fire in his honor. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word, and thank you for an opportunity to to look into the lives of of men that have had a great start, a faithful start, but Lord, um, but not a strong finish. And Lord, I pray that we would be men and women that don't merely have a good start in faith, but we would have a good finish in faith. And so Lord, in order to do that, we need your spirit to work in us. We need a heart that is soft towards you, that doesn't grow bitter with age, but grows better. So, Lord, I pray that you would guide our hearts, you would guide our minds, and help us to grow to be men and women that love you more as the years go by and grow softer as the years go. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I love climbing trees, especially as a child. Uh, I, and when I, I remember in fifth grade, in particular, a friend of mine showed me these particular trees that were surrounded by vines. And so we would go and climb these vine trees. And as we would climb the top of these trees, we would get on top of the canopy and jump from top to top around all these different trees and just have so much fun there. I remember as a kid, there would be certain friends of mine that would have tree houses. They would literally build houses in these trees. And there is nothing better as a kid than to climb in a tree house because you're high, you're in a tree, you're in nature. You can tell people, no, you can't get in here. I mean, it's the absolute best. I I love trees. And 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 what I, what I what I love in particular about trees is that there's they are strong and they are hardy and it feels like they're there to keep you safe because of their strength. But every now and then there's something that gets into the center of a tree that can cause it to grow brittle and to break. In fact, it's called Heart rot, like that's that's the technical term for what can get into the center of a tree and cause a disease that causes it to decay from the inside out. One definition of heart rot is this: it's caused by fungus entering into the trunk of the tree and it wounds the bark. And these wounds are areas of the tree where bare wood is exposed, and usually the result of improper pruning, fire damage, or dead branches, or insects, or insects, or even animal damage. And the fungus spores. Start to wound the tree, and literally it causes it to rot from the inside out. The reason I'm telling you that is because there's something that God wants in our hearts, He wants us to be solid from the inside out, like a strong tree. He wants from the interior to the exterior for us to be strong, resilient, and not to have things that, that land in our heart that cause us to grow weak, that cause us to grow diseased, that cause us, causes our heart, literally, to rot. And what we're going to see in the, in the life of, of Asa is a man that's, that has a strong start. He is one that on the exterior, he, he is strong in many, many ways, especially early on in his, in his life. But as we read, at the end of his life, there's some, some things that get lodged in his heart that cause him not to stay strong, but actually to grow bitter at the end of his life. But there's one verse, if there's one verse to, to highlight in this section, one verse from the life of Asa that I would encourage you to read and maybe even memorize, it's the verse 2 Chronicles sixteen nine. And I love this description, it says this, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. I love that description. Because God is looking across the earth and he's looking at people. He's looking at you and he's looking at me. And, And what is God like? What does God want? Is God looking at people to blame? No. Is God looking at people to hurt? No. Years ago there was a game called Pocket God. Basically, you could have on your iPhone a, a, a little game where you could have your own little island of your own little characters, and you could basically just hurt them. Like, that was the goal of the game. So you could drop coconuts on them, you could flood them out, you could starve them. It was absolutely terrible. I'm like, why am I playing this game? But for some of us, that's our picture of God, of like that God who is just there to kind of mess with your life. But that's not what God is like. God is a God whose eyes run to and fro across the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless before him. I love that word, strong support. Here's what it means in Hebrew. It means to be in a state of high degree of intensity. To have the ability to accomplish what is intended, implying the element of resolve. It means to strengthen or to give power. It means here's what God wants to do in your life. It means God wants to come and strongly support you. He wants to give you the intensity to accomplish the right things in life. He wants you to be, to be able to have resolve, to be strong, and to be powerful. What God wants to do is come beside you and make you stronger as a person. That's his desire. But there's a piece within that. He said, I want to strongly support those people whose heart is blameless before me. The heart is that interior life. It's that inner aspect of your life. And so what God is saying is, look, I'm looking for people to strongly support, to put the wind behind their sails. But here's here's the crux. I'm looking for people whose hearts are mine, whose hearts are righteous, whose hearts are good. I want to go to those people, and I want their their hearts, their interior life to be worth supporting. And that's where we're going to see in this section of the King of Asa is, is a heart that has grown bitter. A heart that has grown cold. And by the end of our time together, we're going to get to to this point. How do I I recognize bitterness in my own heart? And how do I battle against the growth of bitterness, that interior peace that can destroy me? Well, to get us to that point, I want to first look at um, what's going on historically. The kingdom of Israel at this point is divided. We looked uh, last week that Solomon was the last king of the United Kingdom and he had some major failures in his life that led the kingdom to be divided between Jeroboam and Rehoboam. A kingdom in the north, that was Israel, and a kingdom in the south, which was Judah. Uh, Rehoboam reigned over and he he led the people in a poor direction. Uh, His son, um, Abijah, also led the nation in a poor direction. But then you see that there's there's a king that rises up and his name is Asa. He's the king that we're going to look at today. And to the start of Asa's life, he was actually one that led Israel, or the nation of Judah in particular, in a good direction. If you're thinking about historically the, the number of good kings that the nation of, of Judah and the nation of Israel had, there was only five good ones after David. There was Asa, he's the first one we're going to look at. There's Jehoshaphat, there's um, Joash, Hezekiah, and Josiah. There's only five good kings after David. The rest of them and the, all the kings in the north were, were wicked, and most of the kings in the south led the people astray. But Asa actually is a, a bit of a shining light, an imperfect person, but he is a he shows a, a positive light. And so, to look at, I want to first look at the start of King Asa. First Kings fifteen is uh, actually gives another description of. Um, Asa and his reign. So both both kings and chronicles give different perspectives on the lives of kings. So if you're if you're wanting to, to read more about kings, um, you can kind of contrast those two descriptions: ones from Kings, the Book of Kings, and ones from the books of Chronicles. In 1 Kings 15:9, it says this: In the 20th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, in the 20th year of Jeroboam, Asa began to reign over Judah, and he reigned 41 years. In Jerusalem, Now, his mother's name was Makah, the daughter of um, Abishalom. In 2 Chronicles 14.2, it describes this about Asa, this overall summary of his life. And you'll often see this in the, in the description. When they introduce a new king, they'll give a summary of their life. And this is the summary given of Asa's life. And Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. That's a great description. That's a great epitaph. What would, you, what would you want put on your life at the end of your days? That they did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And so overall, Asa did a good job. Overall, he did comparably better than the other kings that led. He did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. That, that word good could be mean uh, to, be, to be good, to be better, to, to have proper characteristics. In fact, God uses this phrase when he talks about creation. As he creates um, the land, he says it's good. As he creates the sea, he says it's good. As he creates each thing in Genesis chapter 1, God declares it to be good. And that's what's declared of Asa. He did what was good. He gives a second word. He does what's right. What's right could mean sh- means straight. It means not crooked, not bent. Overall in Asa's life, he wasn't, he wasn't crooked in his dealings. He wasn't crooked in his life overall in a in a large analysis he did what was good and he did what was right that word right means what's upright what's honorable psalm 117 says the lord is righteous he loves righteousness the upright will behold his face it means it means those that are that are not living a crooked life they will see god's face and so overall in summation Asa does what is good and what is right in the eyes of God. And so let's look at some of those things that he did that God said, yes, these are good, these are right. The first thing that Asa did is that he brought reform to the nation of Israel. Rehoboam had led the nation, or Solomon had led the nation into worship of false gods. Rehoboam did something similar in in continuing that worship of false gods. And his father, Abijah, did what was wrong. And led people into false worship and false gods. And so what you'll see in Asa, first of all, is this. He didn't have good parents. He didn't have good models in his life. He didn't come from a good family that did the right things. He didn't. In fact, for generations, three generations, he only had models of of ineffectual leadership and people that didn't love God. And And here's why I tell you that. Some of you come from that environment, that your parents didn't walk with God, or their your grandparents didn't walk with God. And so you didn't have a generation of faithfulness. But but just because you haven't had a generation of faithfulness doesn't mean that you can't be faithful in your days. And here's what's needed in every generation: every generation has to make the decision that they are going to, to make the decision to reform their life and align it with the work of God. Every person has to do it. If you're if you're young, if you're a kid, um, You can't rely on the faith of your parents. And as as parents, you can't rely on your faith to to lead your kids alone. They have to make that decision on themselves, for themselves. And here's here's what you see in Asa's reforms. He does what everyone needs to do in early spring, which is to pull up weeds, prune things, and mow. Every spring, you see weeds flourishing. Every spring, you see grass starting to grow. Every spring, you look at your yard, and you're like, okay, i start going to start trimming those things. Every generation has to look at their own life like we look at our yards and say, am I going to deal with this again? And let me just tell you this. School is going to be starting here in a couple weeks, so maybe you have kids within it. And really, this is going to be a new time in life where, where in many ways, um, the, the, the challenges of COVID are, are, are waning and for some of you, uh, COVID was a terrible time. For some of you, COVID was a great time. For those of you, it was a terrible time. There's a lot of loss, a lot of tragedy, a lot of, a lot of pain within there. But for others of you, you actually had a great time of pruning in life. And it was done for you. You couldn't be involved in everything. But now as everything's opening back up, you've got to ask yourself the question, what am I going to allow to take up my time and energies and be filling my life? And so what Asa does first is he does what every good landowner does. Is he pulls up weeds, he prunes the trees, and he decides to say, this is what we're going to put in place. The first thing he does in 2 Chronicles 14 is this, verse 3. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars and cut down the ashram. He also took out all the cities of Judah and the high places, that burnt incense. The first thing that Asa did is he removed what's wrong. He took out those those false worship locations, high places were basically where they they were usually on a hill, and they built worship centers there. They would either build altars or they would build astropoles, and all of these were representations of worship of false gods. And so they were all of these things that they burnt incense to to these false gods. And, and here's what's what's fascinating in our life, like. Like, when we see these people worship these things, we think that that's just weird and awkward, and look at those backwards people. And what we don't realize is that we have idols in our own hearts. Tim Keller, in his book, Counterfeit Gods, describes this extremely well. And I've probably quoted it before, but you should pick up the book, Counterfeit Gods. And in all cultures, they basically had uh, versions of worship that they were hoping would bring them life, satisfaction, success. And so there was a goddess in Greek culture to Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty and love. You had, you had gods to a craftsmanship that you would offer sacrifices to. You had all of these different gods, and all those gods were was a manifestation of your deepest need, your deepest longing. Every idol is just an opportunity for you to say, if I offer sacrifices to this, then I will find life and fulfillment and completeness. So every one of us has our own idols, and every idol is a heart issue. Because if you want beauty, you're going to go offer sacrifices to the goddess of beauty, and then you're going to pay time and money and energy for all those cosmetics and all those surgeries and all those things so that you can feel lovely. Every god you worship, other than the one true God, takes. Or you're going to sacrifice. Or you're going to worship the god of success, and you're going to sacrifice energy. You're going to sacrifice family to build your little. Um, You build your little tower, build your little temple so that you can be successful. See, every one of us has something that we're offering sacrifices to of time, energy, and money. And here's what what God says. Everything else that you offer sacrifices to will take from you. There's only one God who gives to you. And so Asa had to come in and he said, let's remove all of these things that are wrong. And then verse 4, it says this, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and keep the law and his commandments. He had this leadership moment where he said, hey, everyone's going after their own gods. Everyone's worshiping their own things. We're going to stop that, and we're going to worship the one true God. And in that position of leadership, he said, this is where we are. This is what we're going to worship. And let me just tell you, parents, this is your responsibility in your home. Your responsibility in your home is to determine what are we going to worship as a family. Are we going to worship the God of ACT? Huh? Oh, does that hurt? That hurts. Okay. Of academic success? Are we going to worship the God of athletic success? Are we going to worship the God of beauty? Are we going to worship? What are we going to worship? What are we going to prioritize in our family? And every parent has to make this decision for what you're going to do. And every person has to make this decision. And he says, we're going to worship the God, God alone. And then verse 6, he says, he built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for God gave him peace. God gave him peace for about a decade, about ten years And whenever you see in the Bible that says God granted them peace where there was no war, it's because God is pleased with them. And he has this opportunity to build cities, to build fortifications, to protect the nation. And let me just tell you this. Before life gets crazy, you have time to build healthy habits in your life. Before your life gets out of control, you have an opportunity to build those healthy rhythms. When life is, is a little bit more restful, you can set in rhythms of your life that are going to be healthy. And so that's what Asa does. He says, look, there's cities that are protecting us from foreign invaders. So let's set up the right protections. Have you done that in your life? Have you, have you intentionally said, I'm going to set up time to read my Bible and to soak in time with the Lord? I'm going to set up time to, to maybe block some things on my cell phone so that I'm not tempted to pull off in a wrong direction. I talked with several people over this past week that intentionally said, I, I, I struggle in this particular area of my life. It involves social media. And so I took it off and I put covenant eyes on my phone to protect me from going where I don't want to go. Have you put protections in your life? That's, that's what Asa is doing for the nation. Verse 7. And he said, let's build these cities And surround them with walls and towers and gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. And so they built and they prospered. Every time you see in the Old Testament when the nation is prospering, it's a sign of the blessing of God to the nation. And so in this time of peace, they are building the protections around their life. And then Asa had an army. 3,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears. 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. These were mighty men of valor. He put soldiers in his life. This is so important. What God is giving us an opportunity for is to fortify our lives and to fortify our hearts. For them as a nation, they needed to fortify this nation to protect it from the enemies. And they needed to train people around them so that they were ready for the attack. Here's the the truth. We don't wait for life to get hard to build fortifications in our life. We build those when life is easy. And he put people and stationed them in place. So let me ask you this question, a real practical application. Do you have people in your life that can speak the truth in love? that loved you too much to leave you as you are? Are there, are there openings in your life and heart where I can have this person ask me the tough question or they can encourage me? Do I have an openness to speak the truth in love? And so what, what God is doing in Asa's time period, is he's saying, look, I'm gonna give you peace, you are following me faithfully, and I want you to fortify yourself because life's gonna get tough. And that's true with every one of us. You will not go from high to high. There will be moments of trial in your life. Um, I, I spoke at a youth camp this whole past week. Uh, I went and there was uh, 7th through 12th graders and there was a couple hundred of them. And, and we started talking about the gospel and it was absolutely amazing. If you've ever been to camp, you know it's like high moment. Because you took away all technology you took away all opportunity to talk to anyone else or to have any of those outside pressures. And it's, it's like this, this neat little Petri dish. like it's, it's this unique moment in someone's life where all distractions are removed, all pressures are removed. And we just get to talk about Jesus and have some amazing leaders around them to encourage them. It's absolutely an incredible little Petri dish to say, Here, here's how we can grow quickly. And that's kind of what Asa has right now. This neat little Petri dish. And what I told those students was this. Your life will not look like this forever. And everyone knows that if you've ever been to camp or that sort of moment, you have this this high, like we're all here and friends are friends forever and this is amazing and this is the best and I'm going to commit my life to Jesus. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. And those are all good things. But then trial comes. Because you're going to go home after camp, and then reality is going to set in. And the same is true after you leave this room. I mean, a church on Sunday is absolutely incredible. It's encouraging. It's transformative. It's a great moment. But it's a small window of time for the rest of your life. And what God's going to send your way is trial, is challenge. And here's what the trials of life show you. They show you what's really there in your heart. They show you, do you have what's there to stand for God when life gets unhinged? See, that's what trials are for. They're to reveal what's in your heart. And so you have all these different trials in life. You have an opportunity when you leave this place to go Monday morning to see your boss who is impatient with you and a little bit of a jerk face. And God's given you this great gift um, all of those things that you learned, will you apply them in this moment? Some of you, you don't have to wait till Monday. You're going to go home and you've got kids at home. And God's given you this great opportunity to be patient and long suffering and to deal with their ridiculousness. Like they, they give this opportunity. Or God, in His good humor, has given you a spouse. Too close to home? And with that significant other, there is so much that's significant about that other. So much. But there's this, there's this tension that can arise. As, as you miss one another, as you don't communicate properly, as, as you do things that you shouldn't. I'm just saying all the things that I do, right? Like I don't communicate properly. I don't think, and I have this opportunity when confronted to go, how am I going to respond in that crisis? Those tensions just reveal What's going on in your heart? That's all. What those? That's all. Those are for. And so here's the first challenge that Asa faces. He's going to go to war. In Second Chronicles fourteen nine it says this Zerah the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and three hundred chariots. Wait a minute. Flash forward. How big was the arm? Or flashback? Fl- how much? How big was the army that was in Judah? Three hundred thousand. Two hundred eighty thousand men from Benjamin. Okay, she so had like five hundred thousand maybe. And then. What comes against him is an army of a million people and 300 chariots. You have an overwhelming enemy. And it says in verse 10: And Asa went out to meet him, and they drew up their lines in battle in the valley. Let me just tell you this. In your life, what God will give you are opportunities to show what's in your heart, He'll give you those opportunities. Every trial is a chance to show what God has done in your heart. And let me tell you about those trials. Let me tell you about those opportunities. They will be overwhelming. They will be impossible. They will be too big for you to deal with. You will be outnumbered. You will be outgunned. You will not have the tools to succeed. And God does that on purpose. Because God doesn't want you to be strong. He wants you to be strong in a couple other areas. See here's what's going to happen in, in Asa's life. He's going to give God gives Asa an opportunity to stand against an impossible enemy to show two things. First is his deep dependence. Look at 2 Chronicles 14:11. And Asa cried out to the Lord, "O Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you and your name we have come against this great multitude." Oh, Lord, you are our God. Let no man prevail against you. What every trial in life is for is an opportunity for you to hit your knees. See, every challenge you face in life isn't an opportunity for you to show how strong you are. It's to show how dependent on God you are. And that was Asa's strength. That was Asa's heart. I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to plead to the only one who can beat this enemy. And here's the truth, every battle you walk into in life, it's not about how strong you are, it's about how strong your God is. Every trial you face in life is an opportunity to spotlight the God we serve, and so it's every battle is actually God's victory, not yours. You get to share in the victory as he fights for you. Verse 12, so the Lord defeated the Ethiopians. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wasn't Asa fighting? Wasn't Asa the one having to swing a sword? Wasn't it his army that was having to go? No, no. Every battle, every victory is the Lord's. The Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah. And the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerer. And the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. Ah. Oh, they were broken before the Lord. And his army, the men of Judah carried away very much spoil and they were attacked on the cities around Gerirah for fear of the Lord was upon them and they plundered the cities. See, every battle you fight is an opportunity for the Lord to show his strength. Exodus fourteen fourteen says this, the Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Do you believe that? That every trial you face is an opportunity for the Lord to show his strength. Proverbs twenty one thirty one says this victory belongs to the Lord. Every battle you fight, every challenge you face in life is about two things growth in our dependence and for God to show us power. And I don't know what battle you're facing ahead of you. Is it a financial battle? Is a financial struggle. There's there's big issues financially that you are facing. Hey, and there are some things that you need to do to help get that under control. I'm not I'm not dismissing that, but that financial battle is an opportunity to grow in dependence on God, and to let Him to show His power. Are you having a marriage crisis? Are you struggling with your spouse? And and, and maybe y'all go into counseling, and maybe y'all going through those different processes. And you should you should go to counseling. You should get help. You should help us, let us help walk alongside you, you should do that. But are you on your knees? Are you begging God to soften your heart and to soften your spouse's heart? Are you, are you fighting this battle more on your knees than you are on your feet? See, that's, that's where the truth strength lies. And God moves in power. God moves in life. God changes hearts and minds. Every battle you face is an opportunity for us to grow independence and for God to show his power. And see, that's the piece that Asa does amazingly early in his life. For the first 10 years, he is, he is building these structures. He is building the nation around these ideas. And early in his life, this is exactly what Asa does. In fact, all the way through year 35, Asa is going to do all of this very well. Every time there's an issue that comes up, he's going to hit his knees and he's going to follow the Lord. Every single time until we get to 2 Chronicles chapter 16. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, we see Asa's fall. It says, now it was the 36th year of the reign of Asa. Basha, king of Israel, went up against Judah and built Ramah that he, that he might permit no one to go in. Or come in to king, um, to Asa, king of Judah. In the 36th year of his reign. Just think about that. We don't get the exact age that Asa was when he began. But at this point, he's probably in his later 50s or 60s. He's, he's lived a faithful life. He's been doing this for several decades. He's going to rule totally for 41 years. And he's been, he's been living doing the right thing for a long time. And for for many of you, that's how you kind of feel in your life. I've been doing the right thing for a long time. I've done this. I've done this game. I've gone to church. I've gone to Bible study. I've done the right thing for a long time. I've paid my dues. I feel good about myself. I feel good about where I am. I feel good about what I've established. And here's the thing about this. You don't have to live life a long time to get those feelings. I remember when I was in fifth grade, and I was like, I was totally done with elementary, right? I remember as a fifth grader, just feeling to myself, oh, all these little kids and these little songs. I can't wait. I'm I'm so mature now. I can't wait to get to junior high, right? And then you get to junior high, and you're just like, oh. As a sixth grader, you're overwhelmed. But then as soon as you're in eighth grader, you're just like, oh, these little kids in here, you know. They're not as mature as me. They haven't lived life like I have. I'm 14. I've done a thing or two. And then you get to high school, and then you're just like, oh, yeah, I'm now I'm, I'm so mature now. And then you're a little kid, but as soon as you're a senior, you're just like, man, I just can't wait to graduate and leave all these losers behind me. Like, there's this tension within us. To say, hey, once I've gone through a couple steps, like, I'm mature and I've arrived. And you don't have to do it for 36 years. You can do it as a a 10-year-old, as a 14-year-old, as an 18-year-old, as a 25-year-old. Wherever you are in life, this tension can be within you. You're like, I've paid my dues. I've done my time. And that's how Asa feels at this moment. I've done enough. And what we see here, I'm going to show you several steps On the road to grow a bitter heart. What steps does Asa take in his life so that his heart grows so bitter that by the end of it, he doesn't even want to talk to God? And listen, it doesn't matter at what point in life you're at. We can all go through these steps and grow a bitter heart against God, like Asa. The first step that we see in verse 2 is that Asa took shortcuts. Asa took shortcuts. Verse 2. Then Asa took, after he heard the king of Israel was starting to fortify these cities and, and causing danger to the kingdom. Then Asa took silver and gold from the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the king's house and sent them to ben king of Syria who lived in Damascus. Saying, there's a covenant between me and you. As there was between my father and your father, behold, I am sending you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with Bashar, king of Israel, that he might withdraw from me. But the first thing that we see Asa do is to take shortcuts in life. Shortcuts mean this. Um, I have a responsibility. I know the way to go. But I'm just going to cut my way through. Um, When I was was younger, uh, I would run in the trails at Memorial Park in downtown Houston. Uh, and in particular, there's, there's the main trail that's like a three-mile loop, uh, but there's also some wooded trails where you can go mountain biking. And, and so we would run through those trails, go all around those trails of, of mountain biking, but inevitably there would come one moment when we were just tired and not really wanting to keep running. And so we'd say, shortcut, which really meant, I want to get lost, and so we would start cutting through the woods, like just straight through the woods, and there would be poison ivy, and there would be trees, and we would get lost in the middle of the darkness, and, and, and at one moment would be like, oh no, this was really, really dumb. And what was supposed to be maybe a 45-minute run turned into an hour-and-a-half run as we kind of are fumbling our way through the woods. See, See, every one of us comes in moments of life, and here's when we typically come to moments where we want to take shortcuts we're tired, I don't have the emotional energy for this, I'm frustrated, we say no one else puts in the effort that I do, or when I'm feeling entitled, I've done my time. When do I take shortcuts? It's when I'm tired, it's when I'm frustrated, or when I'm feeling entitled. And so we do this with our spouses. We we may say, hey, I know what it it takes to romance and love and care for my spouse. Like, I I know what they want, whether it's a husband or wife. Like, I, I know what they need. But you know what? I'm tired, or they frustrated me, or you know what? I've kind of done that with our kids. Like, like, like we know what it takes to like care for them and develop a relationship with them, and to and to pull out information from them. You know, not not the, the the sweeping. How was yesterday? Good, and you know, as a parent. That if you want to get to your kids' hearts, you've got to, you've got to mine beyond that. And it's, it's intense. It's a lot of work. You're like, please tell me what was good about it. What did you like about that particular thing? Did you learn anything? How, did you have any friends there? And you know you've got to like chip, 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 chip. chip. And, and it takes work to mine into the heart of your kid. But let's just be honest. Sometimes you're just like, you know what? I'm tired. I'm frustrated. I've done this before. I'm just going to move on. And we can take the shortcut. And that's what that's what Asa does. What he's supposed to do when the challenge comes is to go to deep dependence and surrender on the strength of God. That's what he's supposed to do. That's what he did earlier in his life. When an army comes against him, what was the right response? He was supposed to hit his knees, God, you know the heart of this king, God, you know the challenges in front of me, and he was supposed to hit his knees and beg God to move and do something, but he doesn't. He takes the easy way out. He says, I'm just going to pay this guy to take care of my problem. And he takes treasury that was meant for God, he takes all that treasury out, all that money out of the treasury that was meant for God, and pays it to the king of Syria to basically say, hey, can you deal with this? He chose, he chose specifically to outsource his faithfulness. So he starts with trying to make a shortcut, and then you see further on, not only shortcuts, secondly, he begins to compromise. He says, there was a covenant between you and me, as there was with my father beforehand. Behold, I'm sending you silver and gold. Go, break your covenant with King, with Bashar, king of Israel, that he may withdraw from me. He says the second step, not only is he um, taking a shortcut, he's making compromise. If I give you this, can I just get what I want? It's going to be a lot of hassle if I've got to hit my knees and beg God to move. can I just take an easy way? Can't we just pay someone to do that for me? Now, what I'm not saying is this, is that you only need to mow your lawn yourself or do your household chores. That's not what I'm saying. But here is the problem with Asa, and I think this gets to be our problem. When I'm out trying to outsource, when I'm compromising, is when this is happening. When I'm trying to outsource my character development or my dependence on God. When I'm trying to pay someone else to develop my character or have dependence on God. If I'm trying to do, lay that on someone else so that I don't grow in character and I don't grow in dependence... What that means is I'm compromising. I'm just trying to take the easy way out. So he tries a shortcut. He begins to compromise. Verse 4. And Ben-Hadad listened to the king, king Asa and sent commanders against the armies and conquered them. And he stopped building Ramah. Verse 6, and King Asa took all of Judah and carried away the stones of Ramah and went and did something else with that. So, So he said, okay, this worked. And sometimes in life compromises work. They do. Like they're effective sometimes. But when we compromise and make a habit of compromising, when we don't develop our dependence on God, when we don't let God's character grow in our heart, how do you know that you've been compromised? It's your response when you're confronted. What's your heart attitude when you're confronted on a compromise? We see his heart becomes calloused. Verse 7. And at that time, Hanani, the seer, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and do not rely on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Syria has escaped you then he gives him the example <clears throat> excuse me we're not the Ethiopians and Libyans a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen yet because you you relied on the Lord he gave them into your hand for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is toward him he's like look you, your heart was towards God And God was glad to come help you when you were going against Egypt. And it was a much bigger army than this king of Israel. It was a much more challenging circumstance. But then he goes on to say, but you have done foolishly in this. For from now on, you will have many wars. And then verse 10, Asa was angry with the seer and put him in stocks in prison. For he was enraged with him because of this. And Asa inflicted inflicted cruelties on some of the people at the same time. Asa's heart grew calloused. Asa's heart grew hard. I tried to learn guitar uh, in college, like all good Christian men. Um, Because you're like, I want to lead a worship song, so I need to learn the guitar. And, and, and when you start learning a guitar, like any musical instrument, there, there comes a point when you have to develop calluses on your fingers as you hold down those chords and those notes and begin playing it. And so you're supposed to develop some resistance to the pain. And that's, that's fine when it comes to playing a guitar or playing a musical instrument. It's deadly when it comes to your heart against God. His heart got so hard that when he was confronted, there was no way he was going to turn back. How do you know if your heart is growing calloused? Here's how. How do you respond when you're confronted with your mistakes? How do you respond? I had the opportunity to practice repentance at the retreat I just spoke at, which is really interesting. I'm telling all people how to live and walk with Jesus. And I made a mistake. I was trying to honor lots of different people in a particular moment, and um, I, I didn't honor a person as well as I should have. And so um, one of the counselors said, hey, you know, I just feel like you made a mistake when, when you honor these people, but you didn't honor this person. Now, within my heart was, I was trying to be a cheerleader for everyone. Like, that was in my heart. Like, I was trying to get everyone to feel appreciated and honored. That's, that was my goal. But I, I didn't quite do it well enough um, for this individual, which was, which was fair. And I had the moment when confronted. Kevin, how are you going to respond in this moment when someone's bringing a correction to you? And there's lots of things that went through my mind. Be like, hey, it's not a big deal, right? It's not a big deal. Um, I did honor this person, just not as much. Um, I can say, hey, I, I'm going I'm to blow this off and go my own way. Or am I going to let my heart be soft and am I going to stand in front of all these people and ask for the forgiveness and do what I should have done the first time. So, I walked over to the youth pastor, and I said, hey, I made a mistake. Can I go make it right? So in front of God and everyone, all these like teenagers, I stood there and I said, hey, I made a mistake. I should have honored this person well, because they are a really high-quality person. And I just want to take a moment right now and ask for their forgiveness. I want to ask for your forgiveness. And I want to do it right. Would you let me have another shot? See, that's, that's a soft heart. Now, I wish every moment I'm confronted, I could say that's how I responded. <laughs> Other times I'd be like, you don't know me. What's your problem? You know, like, I, I could have done that. I think we've all been there. But I would just say, wh- what is your natural response when you're confronted in your mistake in your sin. And it may be small. It may be insignificant. And, and Asa could just be like, you know what? But we won. Like at the end of the day, we won. Who cares? We still beat them back. We're still doing good. But here's the real problem. This mistake is going to plague them the rest of their life. His life and the lives of his sons. It was a mistake that, that is going to be a problem for the nation. And because his heart grew callous... His heart then grew bitter. Verse 11. The acts of Asa. From first to last are written in the book of kings of Judah of Israel. And in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was diseased in his feet. And his disease became severe. But I encourage you to underline this this line. Yet even his disease, in, in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but sought the help of the physicians. Now here's what that's not saying. That's not saying if you have an illness, don't seek physicians. I didn't give you all the verses, but there's tons of verses all throughout the Bible that encourage you to seek help of doctors and physicians, people that that could help you within that world. So that's not saying that. It's to show the contrast. He did not seek the Lord, but sought help from the physicians. That's the contrast. That's the root of bitterness. The root of bitterness says, I know you could help me, but there's no way I'm going to you. I know you could probably speak into the situation, but I'm so mad at you, there's no way I'm going to hear advice from you. See, that's the root of bitterness. He says he got to a point when his heart was so calloused that when, when he was in a moment when only God could bring help, he's like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with you. And he spent the last years of his life in this, this closed-fisted attitude towards the Lord. I'm mad at you because you confronted me. Maya Angelou says this, bitterness is like cancer. It eats up the host. But anger is like fire. He says, this, this is this. Bitterness is like cancer. It, it literally eats you from the inside out. So how do we overcome the bitterness that's within? Now, first, you've got to identify it. Have I hardened myself against God? When I'm confronted, do I dismiss it? Am I compromising in my life? Am I trying to sidestep what could be character, and dependence, growth and dependence on God? Am I taking shortcuts And if you find yourself in a moment where you're like, you know what? I feel like I've let my heart grow hard and bitter towards God. F.B. Meyer has an amazing statement. He says this, as we pour out our bitterness, God pours in his peace. See, the solution to the bitterness in your heart and in my heart is to pour out our bitterness to God. God, this is why I'm mad at you. God, this is what you should have done in my life. God, this is why I'm so angry. And then as we move towards God, he moves towards us. Ephesians 4.31, there's three New Testament passages I want to give you that talk about how to deal with bitterness in our hearts. The first is this from Ephesians 4.31. It says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of of malice. He says, if you have bitterness in your heart, you've got to get rid of it. You've got to deal with it because that peace will destroy you. Hebrews 12, 15, I love the imagery of this one. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble to defile many. I love the description of that. He says, bitterness is like a root in your heart. And it's something that that gets lodged in there, and you have to pull it up. You have to do the work to excavate that. James 3, 14. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. If you have bitterness in you, it's not about denying it. You're not fine. It's about going to the root of that bitterness. What is causing it? And pulling it out. Bring it to the surface. So I want to ask you th- four questions in closing. First is this, where am I making shortcuts in my life? Where am I cutting corners when it comes to my growth and faithfulness to God? Where am I compromising? Where am I trying to outsource growth in my character or dependence on God? Where am I callous? Where do I find my heart growing hard Against God and fourthly if I've gone down all those steps has bitterness taken root am I letting that grow well the solution to all of these is the one solution I could give you is to come to the person of Jesus Christ because it's only Jesus through the, the work of Jesus Christ that he can heal your heart so that these things can become unearthed. It's only through the work of Jesus Christ, through his shed blood on the cross, that he can move in and heal you from the inside out. So what does that mean for us? It means that we confess, God, this is where I am. It's that we receive forgiveness from the Lord Jesus Christ. And his spirit lands in your heart, and it says that he removes the heart of stone and gives you a takes away the things that are hurting he he chips it away so that we would be soft so in response we have our prayer team here as we do every week and there's a reason for that it's because many sins or struggles in your life God never intended you to overcome them by yourself he intended you to come to us to the body of Christ and so our our team is going to come up and if if you have a, a hardness in your heart, some bitterness towards a person or to God himself, we want to pray with you through that and just, just so you know, confessing that is a very heroic thing, that's a brave step to say I'm actually dealing with some things I need help with and we want to pray alongside you because the the prayer of the saints can accomplish great things. We want to pray alongside you. For others of you, you've been hard against God for, for a long, long, long time. And you, even though you go to church and go through the motions, your heart is hard against God. You've actually never put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Well, today's the day. He will forgive you. He loves you. He will empower you to walk a new life and to heal you from the inside out. So if there's a Hardness of your heart, we want to pray with you. If there's a bitterness in you, we want to pray for you. And if you have not come to faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins, come. We want to pray with you and help you meet Jesus because He changes everything. Just pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, I thank you for the life of King Asa, a man who did many great things in your name, who walked faithfully for many years of his life. Like many people here, he, he did the hard work early in life when he, he was deeply dependent on you and relied purely on your power to save. But Lord, it's also helpful to see that there is a, um, a reality of a hardness that can grow in our hearts. So, Lord, if that's us today, if there's some bitterness, some roots that we're, we're holding against maybe a friend, maybe a spouse, or maybe even against you, I pray that you would draw us to yourself. You would show us that there is healing through the work of Jesus Christ, and there is wholeness as we submit ourselves to the work of the great physician who cleanses us and heals us from the inside out. Lord, I lift up this morning to you and each person to you that we would be soft. Jesus' name.